welcome everyone to a new episode of Marvel Cinematic University. I am Jerome Chang, joined by Anthony Ken III. What's up, Anthony? Hey, what's going on, Jerome? And Jake Christie. How you doing, Jake? I'm doing okay. How you doing, Jerome? I'm doing fantastic. Um, so for those who've been uh, catching up with the show, thank you for that. Um, last uh, episode, we covered Incredible Hulk. I was unable to attend, so my reward is hosting this episode of Iron Man 2. So, guys, to start off, how did we feel about this film? What were your uh, initial thoughts? Uh, can I immediately come in, box out with a really hot take? Go ahead. Go for it. I like this movie, and I don't get why it's repeatedly ranked as one of the worst ones in the MCU. Hmm. Interesting. I, 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 I mean, don't get me wrong. I have, there are problems with it. There are def- the, the biggest problem it has is it has several plot holes. But I found my, this is the third time I've watched it, and I am three for three for enjoying it all the way through. I'm just gonna say it, and I know that that's the okay. wrong opinion. I'm aware that I'm wrong for that, but there are no wrong opinions. That's true. Except, well, I think what I think what's yeah. I just wanna I just wanna say I don't think it was a bad movie. I just hated the climax. Yeah. I thought that overall. If you look into the different storylines, especially with uh, Tony's situation with his heart and the arc reactor and the toxicity levels and all that stuff, that was fine. Of course, yeah, there were some scenes that annoyed you a little bit, like um, his fight with War Machine in the party, the drunken fight. I thought that was a little reckless. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also, the main thing that I really had a problem with, which we'll eventually get to in a lot of these Marvel movies, of the weakness of the villains yeah. in all of these films. Oh, we're definitely going over the villain this episode. And yeah, the, that's my big the, problem with the movie. Yeah, yeah, the climax of uh, of this movie was a problem. When we get to the final fight scene, uh, my best scene, which we'll get to later, is way better than the actual climax scene where we expect yeah. you know a lot of explosive stuff, and it just felt like it was too easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Well, my feelings on the film, I might be leaning a little more toward uh, Jake there. I don't hate it at all. Like, definitely not in the way that it's publicly thought of. And it does feel like a lot of, like, let's kill time until the Avengers come around. Yeah. But I kind of enjoyed the time that we had for those two hours or so. Yeah. Uh, I think the thing it does well is it's it's a very – it's an incredibly charming movie. And I think that that mostly yes. comes from the fact that I mean it's directed by John Favreau again, but the script was written by Justin Theroux of uh, being married to Jennifer Aniston and the Leftovers fame. But he also the reason he got the job is because he was a co-writer of Tropic Thunder, which is obviously a very very funny movie. And this movie definitely is. Whereas the first Iron Man was like funny in a lot of ways, like mostly due to like uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s charm and like the wit. This one had a lot of jokes in it, and uh, they were they were welcome because Iron Man because they, they weren't really out of character, and I think that uh, the I, I like the the story uh, with the plot holes and what have you is not the best part of the script, but I think that like the dialogue is probably my favorite part of the movie. Yeah, I would tend to agree with you there, uh, and I think the. We get a little bit more of Samuel Jackson and Nick Fury. We get an idea of what his character is kind of about. Obviously, we we see a little bit more of Coulson. Then, of course, we get the introduction to Natasha Romanoff, one black widow, shouts to ScarJo. Mm-hmm. And I think 
I think with those uh, with those new elements uh, playing into the movie, that's why for me, yeah, I didn't hate it. I didn't have a pro. I didn't have a problem <laughs> with the movie as far as whether it's a good or bad movie or whatnot. But yeah, I mean, as we'll get into, there's certain plot details and certain goofs and issues that yeah made this a little weak in certain areas. Mm-hmm. Well, it certainly doesn't live up to the original Iron Man. No. That's fair to say. But yeah, very much to your point, I think it's just I enjoy all the banter. Um, I think the quality of the talent of acting in there, for the most part, just how everyone goes off each other back and forth, it's fun. It's yeah. charming. I can't I can't really hate on that. Um, but yeah, um, I think all in all, we're not the best movie. I'm no. sure we'll get to it once we start talking about the rankings afterwards so far um but since it happened so early in the movie i think uh it's a good time to ask how intrusive was our stanley cameo this uh for those who don't know as larry king in this movie how would you guys rank it zero to ten one it's it's very unintrusive yeah not at all that, that one is pretty easy yeah <laughs> that I was, was funny that he i was really glad i was really really glad with that i forgot about it and i saw it like as i said on the incredible hulk episode a uh, Stanley Cameo, in my opinion, is too in- is too intrusive. When years after seeing the movie, you can still remember what the cameo is, um, and I forgot yeah, yeah. what I forgot what his cameo was in this movie, which meant that it wasn't that intrusive, and it- he was on screen for like three seconds. Now, like how intrusive was the Elon Musk cameo? That is a different story. That's about like a three. Mr. Musk. How are you? Congratulations you? on the promotion. Thank you very much. You're Thank right. you. Those Merlin engines are fantastic. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Good idea for an electric jet. You do. Yeah. Then we'll make it work. I, yeah, there, there are a lot of like moments where you'll have a cameo from someone who is big in the tech industry that shows up just to establish that like, yes, Tony Stark is among them. He, so, to like establish this realism in the world. And uh, those do feel a little forced, I have to say. Yeah, like Larry Ellison. Uh... Mm-hmm. Which mm-hmm. comes, of course, back with the massive Oracle product promotion of the that the biodome <laughs> they fight in is sponsored by Oracle. Right. Shouts to Light the Light Years podcast. <laughs> well, I mean, in talking about all these competitors in the market, it actually leads me to the part. Uh, one person I want to mention when I'm going to ask you guys who your favorite non-superhero character is in the film. Mine is Justin Hammer, and same it's here. probably because I'm a sucker for Sam Rockwell. I was going to say the exact same words. I was going to say that I actually had a line thought of when I was watching the movie of Sam Rockwell could have painted himself brown and played a stick in this movie, and he still would have been my favorite character, <laughs> in the movie, my favorite not-superhero character. I f***ing love Sam Rockwell, and he is at his peak Sam Rockwelliness in this movie. Sorry I cut you off. Explain why he is for you. Oh, I mean, like, you really nailed it. Basically, all those reasons. He's Sam Rockwell, as he is Sam Rockwell in so many films. And honestly, when you talk about the charm of this film, so much of it comes from him. He plays off as, like, the anti, like, loser Tony Stark so well that he has all the arrogance but clearly cannot follow through ever. And that kind of almost, like, slapstick style of, like, how things fail for him is, like... It was a continuing joke that I actually appreciated quite a bit because it was him who was um, delivering it. Yeah, and I and I I'm a big fan of characters. I'm a well, I'm a sucker for characters that 
um, never know when to stop talking and just think that they can talk mm-hmm. themselves out of a paper bags, like, whenever they do something wrong. Not that it reminds me of anyone in particular, like, you know, me or whatever, but, uh, <laughs> but there's, like, the scene where he is, like, honestly, any scene that he's talking to, uh, Mickey Rourke's character and is just, like, just thinking, like, especially the one where, like, they take his bird away and he's just keeps talking over and over and over again. You see Mickey Rourke's face just like, this guy is, what, he, why does he think that if he talks more, I'm going to like him more? I don't know. He's also, he, he of co- I'm glad that Sam Rockwell, like he tries to do in every movie, got a little uh, dance in because, oh my God. As anyone knows, if anyone knows anything about Sam Rockwell, they know. That he both loves to and is very good at dancing. That's footwork. That's what we're good. Anyway, AC three. Who are you going with? Who we got? Well, well, you know the funny thing is, I'm so clairvoyant that I figured that either one of you would pick uh, Sam Rockwell uh, for Justin Hammer. So I actually went with uh, John Slattery, who played Howard Stark. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason I went with him is because a lot of the story. Uh, it's it's clear to me when Nick Fury talks to Tony about his father, you know, there's a little bit in Tony's voice when he thinks about his dad and he feels like his dad doesn't really, uh, you know, didn't really think of him too highly and always, you know, treated him a certain type of way that he always felt like um, either underappreciated or undervalued in a sense. But later in the movie, when we get to uh, best line, um, which I'll which I'll say I have my best line for stated by Howard Stark, I think he plays a integral part in obviously Tony figuring out some issues that he has. And mm-hmm. and I think that's important to the overall story. Once we get behind the jokes and once we get behind all the banter and the dialogue, we get behind still what uh, the MCU continues to try to do as far as providing the heart to the story. And, I, and that's why I enjoyed his performance in and, that. And that segment is called There Is Time for Slattery. Um, that's also another joke <laughs> that I thought of before. Like, I'm really upset about the fact that I seen, like I thought of that joke yesterday of, like, if we talk about Howard Stark, I'm going to say, just because I wanted to, I, I really, what I wanted to do is I felt insecure about how good Jerome's Iron Man joke was when we talked about Terrence Howard. <laughs> so, but yeah, I, I think that John Slattery, in my opinion, was perfectly cast, and I don't just say that as someone who actually? I mean, I do just say that as someone who loves Roger Sterling, but uh, like he, there is a. Um, I think the thing that he does really well in it is that, in the scenes before, like before he has his revelation where he talks to the camera or what have you, and Tony kind of has the idea that his father didn't love him, yada yada yada. You and he yeah. can play those like opening scenes and what have you in such a way where you're like, oh yeah, of course he was just a business driven father who didn't care about his son that you believe that. And then he still has the warmth to when he talks to camera and to Tony, can you also then believe that he has that in him too? Like you, your perception of the character changes with Tony. And that's something that's obviously not super easy to play, especially when he's not on screen that much. I also like with relation to him, I also really enjoy the small moments when they're looking at the footage and it's in between takes. And then you kind of get a little more of the Roger Sterling out of slattery in those moments. Yeah. And it kind of, and that part too also like really shows like, okay, this might be a little where Tony Stark gets his Tony Starkness from mm-hmm. like, 
he he's not the straight laced guy that you see like the almost like Walt Disney looking like character that shows up at the beginning when they're at the Stark Expo. Uh, so it like I enjoyed those parts and definitely um, that exhibits really well why you would cast someone like him. Yeah. And uh, speaking about casting, I mean, and you mentioned the uh, throwback joke of Iron Man. Welcome to Uncheedle, everyone. Welcome yeah. to Uncheedle yeah. as War Machine. How did we feel about this change? I like him much better. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, that yeah. yeah, without, yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, even though the movie's worse, like I said, like I said in the Iron Man one, and I rewatching it, I felt good about that take because it really worked. It's just. Whereas I said you can't imagine Tony Stark and Colonel Rhodes and Iron Man 1 actually being friends, like, because Terrence Howard just doesn't play that at all, like, Don Cheadle plays, you believe that he cares about Tony Stark, that they have a history that, you know, he, like, that he when he's fighting him, even though that, you, Anthony, you are right, that the drunk fighting scene is pretty silly, it is. Yeah. It, I think it would be much more silly if it was Terrence Howard because I then I'd be like, wait, why? There's no conflict here. Terrence Howard hates Robert Downey Jr. You know what I mean? Like, it's... well, so that's what's it. That's what's interesting because Don Cheadle said before he uh, signed on to play the role is that he didn't really know too much about uh, superhero films mm-hmm. and comics in general. But he, one of the things that he thought interesting to him was the friendship between tony and rhodes so i think that enabled him to really uh dive into the role and really and as to your point uh he keeps he dives into the role and really gets into and gets into the idea that these two guys are you know basically brothers for lack of a better term Mm -hmm. definitely feel the friendship i totally agree the chemistry is all there for that and it really helps just because in this uh, in this sequel, like, like we actually get to War Machine, so they're going to have to fight together, and you're going to want to feel that relationship. So I see that there. Um, one po- point I wanted to make, just I noticed early on, uh, what, one of the scenes when they're at the Air Force Base, uh, we have um, uh, Don Cheadle's character in in his uh, just regular wear, and he looks kind of skinny in there. And for yeah. whatever reason, I was thinking about Jake's comment about Tim Roth in The Incredible Hulk, and yeah. I'm like, does he sell well, at least physically, as Colonel James Rhodes? <laughs> no, but also, luckily, uh, it's a little more believable. And this is not a shot. It's just a statement of fact that, like, I, he can be... If, if if he was in the Army or, like, the Marines or the Navy, he'd be less believable. But, like, the Air Force, I'm willing to believe he's that skinny. Right. Yeah, from a, yeah, obviously from a build standpoint, that's you know it's it's not what you would think. But then uh, at the same time, he is in a suit of armor, yeah. so <laughs> so it's fair, I, I guess. So yeah. yeah. Um, but one thing I do love, and I wrote it down, and this is not my favorite line, so it's not spoiling it. If it's any of yours, I apologize. Don't say so. Just wait until the end when we do the favorite line. But uh, mm-hmm. I love that his first line on screen is because Tony, because he shows up to the hearing, and Tony. Say like basically, he's like, why are you here? And he just says, "Look, it's me. I'm here. Deal with it. Let's move on." Which is <laughs> it's, it's that's a good line. It, it has so many levels to it. It's wonderful. Like for anyone who knows behind the scenes, yeah. it's beautiful. I I actually like again, not my favorite line, but I do that one definitely stood out. And also just because again, like outside of like all that context, it it really sells his characters. Like there is a connection here. Mm-hmm. Like in all the ways that we talked about so far, because he delivers it so well too. Um, all right. So moving on, 
talking about different characters in here, I we'd be remiss if we don't go- dive into the villain of this film. Yeah. Mickey Rourke as Anton Van Gogh in as Whiplash. Guys, I want to play a game with you. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to kind of, because mm-hmm. this character, I think we can all admit, a little off the rails. Yeah. And there are a couple of things I want, I just like noted from there. And we're going to play the game. Who chose it? Who chose it as in, was this a production decision or did Mickey Rourke want to do this and they just oh, had to go wonderful. with it? So to start off, a very simple yeah. one. One I actually think might be something that uh, could be the production. His hairstyle. His hairstyle, the random silver streaks, the almost dreadlock look. What do we think, guys? Mickey Rourke. Mickey Rourke. I think he Mickey chose. Rourke. Only because okay. he has the same hairstyle in The Wrestler. Okay. Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Fair, fair. Uh, yeah, actually, interesting enough, I like when I saw that, I had to go into just looking at the comic book depictions, and I think they were forced to kind of go in that direction afterward once this film was released. Because the original, like for those of you guys, uh, if you've seen the original looks of Whiplash, very, very different. Um, moving on, uh, Gold Teeth, what are we saying, guys? Mickey Rourke. Um, I don't know, that could be either. Uh, I didn't mind that, because um, that, that actually... That actually let um, helped like run home the point that he's like lived in remote Siberia with probably not the best okay. dental care. I didn't mind it that much. Like these two things, <laughs> those two things are both in a vacuum, silly. But let me just yeah. state, as we'll get to, those are not the problems with this character. <laughs> okay, okay, we might be getting there soon enough. The tattoos, again, I think it's in the same boat. Could be either side. No, I think that's thing production. To... People, yeah. production yeah. designers love giving anyone Russian a million prison tattoos. Fair right. enough. <laughs> and the, uh, the last one I want to mention here, and uh, you'll excuse the bad Russian accent, but I think it's on brand with this character, Bird. Oh, God. What? Oh, I actually... <laughs> what about Bird? I, I, to, what about Bird? According to IMDb Trivia, that was Make You Work. They, that's on. That's, that's IMDb Trivia canon. But also, I, once I again, have... I don't have a problem with that. You don't have a problem with Bird? No, no not really. I mean, like, Bird, we tried to make Bird work. Sam Rockwell tried to make Bird work. Um, <laughs> I mean, I have this quote ahead of time in planning for this game from Mickey Rourke when talking about the production. I bounced these ideas off John Favreau. He had to fight me for me to be okay with the teeth and tattoos and the bird, said Rourke. Everything was a little bit of a fight, but once I justified it, Favreau had to go to the powers that be. Once I justified it, do you think he really justified it to them, or they're just like, fuck it? They were definitely just like, fuck it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I, that's a... That's, go ahead. I really hate that. Ca- I hate this casting a lot. Um, <laughs> one, I am always... I am a... He- huge advocate for if you're going to cast a villain from a foreign country cast someone who at least is like has that heritage of that country like you don't have to like sure yes you're gonna cast a big american movie star fine i get it but mickey work nothing about mickey work screams russian physicist not that he can't be buff or anything like that but it's just like it's mickey rourke like uh, i don't know it just it's in the why is he so good at fighting why is this russian physicist so good at fighting i'm curious oh that's a great question (laughs) just just because you mentioned russian physicist uh like jake i just i wonder sorry to cut you off no no no. it's just like and i think that that's that's where the problems with the villain obviously the the plotting didn't help him but 
he just is not in the scenes where he's supposed to be a physicist. I don't believe that he's a physicist. And in the scenes where he's supposed to be like, like I, I, I don't believe him almost in anything he's doing except maybe the action sequences. But I don't know. Um, what you guys, what, like, what, what are your biggest problems with uh, Van Gogh? Um, I, for me, I, I would say pretty much the same thing. I think he actually, Mickey Rourke actually doesn't really know any technology. I had read up a little bit on that. That basically he kind of pretended to <laughs> to know what he was doing, <laughs> what he was doing at those times. Um. Yeah, just in general, I just felt like it just wasn't it just wasn't genuine. I didn't get the idea like oh, it felt like it was one of those situations where what where he had to be there to be a villain as opposed to uh his motivations of getting even with Tony Stark and all this other stuff. It didn't feel genuine to me. So, once that happens, you kind of, you know, st- step back a little bit and then don't take the character as seriously. But then on top of that, you have the obvious issue going forward of of what we see towards the end of the movie with the with the climax. And it just ruined everything for me. Well, um, for me, I think, Anthony, you said it well about pretending the whole scene where he is controlling all these drones and it always cuts to him typing like randomly on a keyboard. That is much. I mean, that's just generally a trope I have a problem with with like anything that involves hacking or that kind where you just type sporadically and that's supposed to mean a lot's going to happen um again yeah. uh in looking into this mickey rourke uh deal i did a little research ahead of time i love this quote um the thing is we're all in agreement even mickey rourke doesn't like his character in here and this is the one of the quotes that uh says it well you know it is too fucking bad but it's their loss if they want to make mindless comic book movies, then I don't want to be a part of that. I don't want to have to care so much and work so hard and then fight them for intelligent reasoning. And just because they're calling the shots, they, you know, I didn't work for three months on the accent and all the adjustments and go to Russia just so I can end up on the floor. Because that can make somebody say at the end of the day, oh, fuck him, I'm just going to mail it in. But I'm not that kind of guy. I'm never going to mail it in. Um, for those who don't know a lot of the behind the scenes he ha- apparently prepared a lot of character for this, uh, the kind of thing that Marvel Studios in the end had cut out ahead of time to make him, as he describes, more of a one-dimensional character. Um, I don't know if I want more than what we got, to yeah. be perfectly honest. <laughs> also, like, I don't know. I just, I it's just, there's something just bizarre about getting a lecture about making intelligent movies from Mickey Rourke, who, like, <laughs> was in, like, the the dregs of dumb B-movies for, like, 20 years. Uh, like, I, I don't know. Like, if the only reason he ever he got this role was because, uh, well, I mean, he was in Sin City, but really what it was is that Darren Aronofsky decided to make The Wrestler, and if not for that, he probably would not have gotten this role. And I don't know. It's 100% just, no. It's just, like... I don't know, and I get what he's saying where, like, you prepare a villain to be human and stuff like that, but I actually don't think that the problem with this villain was that you didn't get a human side of him. Like, because I didn't, like, I understood his motivations, it just was, like, his actions and the way he acted them were, I don't know, they they played silly when they probably should have been, like, dramatic. Like I don't know. He, he wasn't menacing. Yeah. Yeah. He, not in a, not in any way. 
I mean, all the quirks that he wanted to add to that character worked against his direct motivations mm -hmm. because at a point, he just seems like this troll that is just getting in the way of everyone's mm -hmm. business, but not someone who's really out for a revenge plot. Mm -hmm. Um and then yeah. again, like all the work that he put into the accent, uh, it leads to one of the, my favorite goofs that I found from IMDb. Ivan Vanko makes occasional errors in Russian, tense, case, etc., that no native speaker would do. So, I mean, did he really work so hard on this? Did he really nail it? <laughs> yeah. I, um, I, which, and the funny thing is that um, obviously his plot is that he doesn't just want he doesn't just want to like kill Tony Stark. He wants to ruin his empire and his reputation yeah. which if that is how his plot ended up turning out by the end of the movie that would be a very interesting storyline i actually like that a lot that's a fun thing of i don't just want to kill you i want to ruin everything you've ever built but it seems like he decide he decides he doesn't want to do that anymore like halfway through the movie because that is not what his plot at the end of the movie accomplishes <laughs> Not even close. Yeah, pretty uh, much. If anything, the biggest villain in that particular cause toward Tony Stark is Tony Stark. He is the one who's working most against himself and ruining his own legacy. Yeah. So, uh, I think also, yeah, that covers enough. Of, can I can I bring up a plot hole related to Vanko that I have to bring up just because uh, I was talking to my older brother slash roommate yesterday about the fact that I was going to come in here with the take that I like this movie. And he's a negative <laughs> alley who doesn't really... Well, one, he doesn't really like superhero movies that much. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, he's, once again, just negative. And, but he, brought, he reminded me of a plot hole, which, like, I kind of knew when I realized this was happening, but I, like, pushed it out of my mind. And it's, it is a lot. And I, just on his behalf, I got to say it. His plan... Vanko's plan at the Monaco Grand Prix requires him he's going to stop Tony Stark on the racetrack but how did he know he was going to be on the racetrack because he doesn't decide <laughs> that he's going to drive the car until like 10 minutes before the race that makes oh, wow. no sense whatsoever and you could be like I mean, oh he could uh, he he knew he'd be there he could have like killed him somewhere else it's like no no because one he's dressed as like a road crew guy, and like, mm -hmm. how is he gonna know where he is? And oh, you, oh, you think that uh, big old tatted up Russian Mickey Rourke is gonna get let into that swanky uh, restaurant they're all watching the race from? No, he had to somehow know that he was gonna race in it. And the thing that annoys me about that is, yes, I like the moment where, well, two things happen. One, when yeah. Gwyneth Paltrow realizes it, but I even more so like the moment when Sam Rockwell's talking to uh leslie bibb playing christine everhart but like quick side fact just i don't know if this is where they met but sam rockwell and leslie bibb have been together for like nine years so they might oh, have wow, been really? this movie so good for them okay uh yeah all, good for sam rockwell good for leslie bibb they i've they they're they look very cute at award shows together this season uh but when they notice him getting in the race car like that's a fun moment but though that moment is worth sacrificing just to get rid of that plot hole. Like, if they just made it that Tony Stark was always planning on racing in it, yes, you lose the dumb mo the moments of, like, them being surprised, but then you don't have the biggest plot hole in the movie, in my opinion. Hmm. Wow, that's, that's a... Yeah, good, good, good job, Jake. No, good um, job. I mean, good job, my older brother. Say good job, Kevin. <laughs> that it. Not that he's going to listen to this. Adding on top but, of that, you know. 
Um, yeah, sorry, adding to, on top of uh, that plot hole, why does he need to get the passport and the pass to Monaco, to what to the race itself? Because it's it looks like from the early scenes before he leaves Russia, leaves Russia, he was given like he had access to there that he didn't really need to sneak in and dress up as anything else. I think that's how he watch needs, right in. I think that's how he could get on the track. I guess so. Because well, yeah, he needs so. he needs the passport because he's a felon. Um, right, but I think I think he also receives tickets to it, like in a way that oh, he, yeah, he, like, he could have just walked right in. That's a good, yeah. that's a good point. So, or no, you know what he might have yeah. done? They might have probably cut it. He might have used the tickets and then like knocked. Because how did he get the suit? So he probably like knocked out a guy. Uh, yeah, well, we find out yeah. that like when you cut away from him, the next time you get back, he has killed every armed guard. Like mm-hmm. that's his move because he because most physicists can do that. Yeah, also we we <laughs> never see we never actually see him fight someone with his hands. We're just supposed to we're just led to believe like oh, he's just fucking super strong deal with it. He does snap a neck. Oh yeah, um, he does. He snap we see him snap one neck. I forgot about that. And he's and he's able to get hit by a car four times with like minimal mm-hmm. damage. So yeah. Oh wow, that's a great point. And so, he's and he's a physicist, so I guess he's allowed to do that. Yeah. Also, physicists are great hackers. We know that too. That's true. Well, it's any you know, scientist like physicist, scientist, geologist, you know. Yes. Um, well, I mean, we're already diving into it as it is, but Anthony, I know you want to get to the climax. It's been a great for you. Hit us up. Oh man. All right. So, so you know what's funny? Right before we get to the final climax, when uh, Iron Man and War Machine are surrounded by all these robots, and of course Whiplash, the best scene in the film to me is, and I remember when I watched this in the movie theater when I saw it the first time, the best scene and. Uh, and funny scene at the same time is Black Widow uh, sprinting into action in the building with Happy Hogan. And I love the juxtaposition of on one side, you have Black Widow kicking everybody's ass and Happy Hogan struggling to beat up one guy and getting punched in the face a bunch. So that like great. that. So that was like that was great. But then, of course, we get to the end and. All right, so they're gearing up for this big battle. You know, Tony and and our Rhodes are okay. We're finally on the same page. We're about to work together. It's about to be a big deal. And that fight lasted, I think, about forty five seconds. Literally <laughs> forty five seconds. Everybody gets everybody gets blown up, and then one shot of like a overload of uh, Tony's reactor um, with the energy uh, emitted from uh, Whiplash's uh, lashes. And boom, kaboom, and that's it. So, like to me, it's like have if you're gonna have uh, any villain in any movie, and I understand how, how in the comic books and cartoons sometimes it works differently. But if you want to set up this menacing whiplash guy, and he has all these, he has these uh, lashes and is able to really he 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 did a better job fighting Tony in the whole car scene. To your point, good point, Jerome. The fact that he got hit four times with a car (laughs) at the beginning and still was getting right up and continuing on. And then in the end, all it takes is one overload of energy and then everything explodes and that's it. It's like, come on, man. Like, what's happening? What the fuck is happening? So (laughs) that was just like a major... 
major major downer for me in that sense is because it's like you build up a showdown throughout the throughout the movie and especially when the first showdown actually at the at the uh, raceway was pretty good i had no problem but then we get to the end and you're expecting something much bigger and then it's just and that's it nothing nothing of any note to make you feel like wow this was a real great fight scene jake uh major gripe favorite scenes um, I don't have any, I think we should go to favorite scene, uh, but, um, so, what, uh, AC, would you say that, uh, that this, the Black Widow sequence is your favorite scene in the movie? Absolutely. Alright, um, I'm gonna say my favorite scene, which contains my favorite line, so I'm not gonna reference it, but I like the whole scene <laughs> around it, is the, uh, the Senate hearing scene is just wonderful comedy. Um, I love, I like, and I, I, once again, I think Sam Rockwell is so good in that scene where he's just, the way that he's just, he calls him Anthony and is just like the way that he, Oh, I love the Anthony the gag. Senate, yeah, he's being such a dick. The re- way he treats a Senate hearing like he's doing, like he's honestly, it's like he's hosting like a show on the Vegas strip. Like, Hey everybody, let, um, look at these wonderful ladies. Like he like take, picks up the mic, <laughs> walks around the room. And then like, it's great when, crowd work. Yeah. When he, and then when he like, when uh, Tony puts the video of him basically helping terrorists with weapons on the screen and he like struggles to turn, like just, just all wonderful comedy and get rest in peace, Gary Shandling. Cause he's so good in these scenes. Um, like he just is the, I don't know. He's just the most like insufferable. Because ultimately, the thing is that like, I it, it Gary Shandling has to do a lot of work there because I personally very much come on Gary Shandling's side in the issue. Like I don't think we should privatize our national security, but he's like I think that what he does well is he plays he's so insufferable and annoying that. Yeah you're like, okay, I'm willing to side with Tony Stark, even though what he's suggesting is insane, you know what I mean? Like, he absolutely should not be able to have, like, his own personal weapon where he fights wars on behalf of the United States. <laughs> <laughs> that is, yeah. <laughs> That's a good okay. scene. Yeah, that is a great scene. Um, My favorite scene, mm-hmm. uh, we've actually mentioned it already, and uh, it actually connects, It's I feel like it overlaps both of you. So, you love Justin Hammer, and Anthony loves... Uh, um, Black Widow's entrance, Justin Hammer's entrance dancing on stage. That's all I care about. <laughs> oh. It's the one thing I'm willing to go back to over and over again. <laughs> Just because if he's not going to one up Tony in tech, charm, brilliance, or anything, he's going to outdance the fuck out of him. Oh. And that's his one advantage. I will take that all day, every day. Yes. Okay. So um, moving on from favorite, favorite scene to favorite line, guys. What was your favorite line in the film? Hmm. Okay, I'll I'll take this one first. Um, it's funny. Hard time between two of these, but uh, since I picked John Slattery, throw out both as of Howard's... them. I mean, throw out the runner-up first, just because I yeah, like the runner-up. I like right, to em- I like to embed as many lines I can find on YouTube as possible because it sounds cool and makes me look like a good editor. So yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, no problem. All right, so like my runner-up is Tony to Nick Fury when they're uh. 
when when they're when they're talking uh, later in the film, he goes. I told you I don't want to join your super secret boy band. That <laughs> that, that, <laughs> that that one was fun. That, that one that was a nice uh, nice funny one. But the line of the movie to me was uh, John Slattery's Howard Stark in the video when Tony's still trying to figure out what to do in terms of the toxicity of his of the arc reactor. And after all this time of Tony thinking that his father, you know, doesn't really care about him or, you know, doesn't love him the way that he felt like he he wanted to, Howard Stark says this. Tony, you're too young to understand this right now, so I thought I would put it on film for you. I built this for you. And someday you'll realize that it represents a whole lot more than just people's inventions. It represents my life's work. This is the key to the future. I'm limited by the technology of my time, but one day you'll figure this out. And when you do, you will change the world. What is and always will be my greatest creation is you. And that to me sums up the heart of the movie it, when we look at overall tony and his motivations and what he's trying to do i think it provides that you know that stability and that and it's funny enough you would think tony stark doesn't need a confidence boost but in that instance he did and his father from beyond in a video gave him that and that's why i thought it was my best line jake uh, Jerome, actually, I'm pulling up the exact my exact quote because I realized I didn't write it down correctly. Can you go next? Okay, of course, of course. Um, so a common criticism of the Marvel Cinematic Universe is how hard they try to link everything together. And there are moments in here we see Captain America's shield. Yeah. We, we see Agent Coulson on his way to New Mexico for what we find out in the next film that we will cover. Um but it actually involves that uh, part where he's leaving Tony. So it's actually a back and forth. I really enjoyed the small Coulson scene when he's leaving to inform Tony, uh, he, where he just goes. We need you. Yeah, more than you know. Not that much. And so I, <laughs> I love it yeah, because, I mean, so it's that very, that very banter that I love in this film, for one. Um, it shows kind of like, again, I love how Coulson is on the surface, this very vanilla FBI agent, but mm. really isn't equal to all these uh, guys. And also, when you know where it goes now, when you hear something like, not that much, it, like he knows so much about what's going on that Tony doesn't yet. And I think that's just such a cool idea. And it's also like something that seems to be exhibited here where the movie starts and uh, like Tony Stark is just like, he's saving the world when we find out soon enough he's just a part of it really um so just for all those reasons i really just love that back and forth and i'm a sucker for colson what can i say yep okay so my favorite i have to read like two lines setting it up just because uh mm -hmm. it's in the hearing uh tony stark is in the middle of the thing where after being asked to turn over the iron man suit he says i am iron man the suit and i are one, to turn over the Iron Man suit would be to turn over myself, which is tantamount to indentured servitude or prostitution, depending on what state you're in. You can't have it. Uh, look, I, I'm no uh, expert. In prostitution, of course not. You're a senator. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's just a good line. Because really what that is, is that's like a classic slapstick line. And another line I also have written down, just because I like it. It's not my favorite, but uh, it's something similar of um, that when Justin Hammer is, I believe it's Justin Hammer, is introducing um, uh, Christine Everhart, reintroducing them, I mean her to Pepper and Tony. She says, Well, she did quite a spread on Tony last year. And she wrote a story as well. Which is another yeah. great line. Um, yeah. Yeah, those are lines that, like, uh, I hate using this three-word phrase, so please forgive me. You can unsubscribe if you want. But as a writer, <laughs> you see those and you're like, oh, damn. Because when, when, you, when you come up with things like that, all you want to do, you just want to run out of your room, run on the street, and tell everyone, like, dude, listen to this joke I just thought of. And those are both winners for me. <laughs> nice, nice. Okay, well, um, I think we covered as much as we could for mm-hmm. Iron Man 2, which leaves us the last part. As we stand right now, we have Iron Man 1 as number one. Incredible Hulk is number two. Does Iron Man 2 overtake the Hulk or overtake the original Iron Man? Well, for me, it overtakes the Hulk. And you can put Iron Man, Iron Man 2, and then the Incredible Hulk in the rankings. And I think that one is pretty easy. Yeah, same for me. It's an easy call for me. Uh, Guys, this was a fun one. We're going to be back... We're going to be back for uh, Thor. We're going to be heading to New Mexico next. Yep. Um, We'll see you guys for the next episode. Absolutely. Thank you guys for listening. Wait, wait, wait. Let's promote some stuff. Uh, Of course. Where can can everyone find you on Twitter? Uh, You can find me at Black Dragon Roll. Anthony? Hey, you can find me at AC Spotlight 95 on Twitter. Get Selfish, the poetry book. Appreciate the reviews you guys are giving me. Thank you very much. And check me out on the NBA Trades podcast we're going to do a little deadline special shortly uh jake and, yes and you can follow me at the j christie listen to my other podcast sorted history and the levers the chat network um i think that's about it oh for this one make sure you rate review and subscribe and tell the biggest marvel fan in your life about it because we are but three people who only know so many people who like marvel movies i mean yeah. okay i know a lot of people most people i know like marvel movies except my brothers f- them <laughs> but thank you for the uh, excellent um like excellent goofs i mean thank you for pointing those out oh it was my pleasure <laughs> all right <laughs> guys have a great one thank right. you for listening all right take care see ya